Well, God is good. God is good. All the time. God is good. Amen. So anyway, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. That's about as far as I can go because that's how many fingers I have on one hand. One of the interesting things about the book of Acts, and we're going to get started tonight by taking a look at really getting set up for this book or this letter. Because it's important to set up the context, the history, the author, the purpose. And as we understand that part of it, it begins to provide a basis and a real foundation for everything that, that uh, Luke is going to be communicating. And the one thing that I really like about the book of Acts and you don't even need to turn there if you don't want to. But the very last word in the 28th chapter, the very last word in the very last verse in the book of Acts in the NASB, right, which is the New American Standard Version, is the word unhindered in the NASB. So I want to read you something. I want you just to listen. Don't follow along because you're going to have your NIV or your New King James. So I want you to listen to the context of and how this word unhindered becomes so critically important contextually to the book of Acts. Not only historically in context, but as we apply the application to us of what we're going to learn throughout the book of Acts. So listen to this. Here's the context. Setting up in Acts 28, starting in verse 25, the second half, 25b. It says, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, and now he's speaking to the Jews, okay, the Israelites. He says, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And understand with their heart. And return and I would heal them. And then he says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. See, when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. Now listen. And he stayed. He is Paul, the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul stayed for two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. With all openness unhindered. 
Now, I love that because that's the last verse, the last word in the last verse of the book of Acts has that word unhindered, which which tells us in context that Paul was there and he was in Jerusalem and he was preaching the kingdom of God. He was preaching Jesus Christ and he was doing it openly. And we're going to see in 28 chapters about how much persecution there was going on in the early church. But he was doing it openly and he was doing it without hindrance. And you see, I think that's how we want to study the book of Acts. I think we want to study the book of Acts with an attitude of being unhindered. I think we want to come on Wednesday nights and say, I don't get it. What the heck is he talking about? Unhindered. I don't think that we want to have any obstacles in the way. I think we want to debate. I think if there's something that might even be disputable, that we want to we want to open up during the course of our dialogue with one another so that it's very much an open time of communication with God's people so that we can really get into the book of Acts, which is a historical book that tells us a lot, not everything, but a lot about the early church, how it started, who was there, how it grew and developed, all the problems that they were encountering, because the church was kind of messy in the first century. Sound familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of messy. You see, because the church started, as we'll see when we get into it a little bit later, the church started with these people. All these darn people. (laughs) It started with these people. And really, we're going to see when it first begins, there was no Holy Spirit. There was no, yet, there was no, they were together. But the Holy Spirit that had been promised hadn't come. There was no direction. There was no guidance. There was, they were confused, probably scared. Again, other than a few of those things, like scared is something that I think a lot of people in the church can be today. Although we have the rest of those things that God promised the early church. But there was 120 people that were just regular folks. Like you and I. Wow. And we're going to see what God does with them. So don't hold anything back. While we're studying together. If you've got a question, let's ask the question. We might even find an answer. But maybe not. We might even agree or to disagree with, because there are some things in the book of Acts in the beginning of the church here that will make you scratch your head. Yeah. Yeah. I've been scratching my head a bit lately. And that's okay. That's okay. But bring, bring your concerns. Bring your arguments. If you want to opine on something, let's... let's Let's take a look and let's take a listen to your opinion about something. Don't hold back. Yeah. And then let's, let's hold it up. Let's hold up those questions. Let's hold up our opinions. Let's hold up our arguments. Let's hold up everything that we have against the Word of God. Because <coughs> that's what we have to go to. 
Because this book was written by who? Luke. It's pretty clear. Although Luke doesn't identify himself, that's true. Luke doesn't identify himself specifically. But it's pretty clear in the historical narrative, both biblical historical narrative and the extra-biblical historical narrative, that Luke is the, is the writer. And we'll see that. But we're going to see that as we move forward, this church had a lot of challenges. There were a lot of issues. There were threats. They were being persecuted. Shipwrecks. <laughs> yeah, there, was, there was a lot going on. Now, the Bible has a lot of different literary forms in it, right? What do, what do we mean by literary forms? Anyone? Style of writing. Style of writing. And what are, what are some of those styles of writing in the... In, in the how many books in the Bible? Six. 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 I can't remember how many are in the Old and New. I just can't remember because I've more than this many fingers. I can't... Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> 39 and 27. 39 in the Old Testament, 27. I do the formula. Like, I can't remember the formula. So how am I supposed to remember that? I don't know. I just have the one. Fingers and toes for me. That's the only thing. That's the only way I know it. But anyway, so we have these different literary forms. And what are some of them? Letters. Excuse me? Letters. Letters. What else? Poetry. Poetry. History. History. Analogy. An analogy, prophecy, apocryphal. Apoc how do you say that word? Apocalyptic. That's the one. We have that kind of. We have that kind of literary style. Yeah. Okay. What style is this letter that we're going to, or this book that we're going to be taking a look at? That is that is titled the Acts of the Apostles. You know. It's more historical. It's a, it's a history book. It's a history book. So we're going to take a look. That tells us a little something about Luke, doesn't it? So Acts is a history book. And we're going to see in this history about how the church was born, tested by fire, all right, uh, purified, it was strengthened, it grew, it was empowered during this time. There's a lot going on that we need to understand from the early church in Luke's writing and corroborated in a lot of other places in the Gospels in some cases and other, and other letters and, and other, in other places. Um, but we're going to see where the Gospel is both received and rejected. Received and rejected. I mean, we just read the very end of the, the Acts 28, and and, and 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 the writer of Acts, who's that? Luke. That's his name. Luke was suggesting that Isaiah the prophet wrote. He quotes the Old Testament quite a few times in this letter, and he was quoting from Isaiah, saying that man, go to these people because. They're struggling. You know? Because what was God's plan? Anybody remember what God's real plan, the full-on redemption plan? Who was going to be used? Who? What group of people were, was God going to use in His plan of redemption? His chosen people. Yeah, the Jews. And they just, they struggle. 
They struggled through it. They had a hard time listening, hearing, receiving. And this book all of a sudden starts to then begin to talk about how, well, there's still this plan of redemption that we're going to see. And now it's going to come to the Gentiles. Some of the Jews had a real struggle with that. That was a big problem for them. Pride. Who do you think you are anyway? Gentile. Not much has changed. Not much has changed. Different people groups do that to each other all the time. We put ourselves in our little people boxes, don't we? But then we're going to finally see what really happens through these 28 chapters. It's not going to be an expository teaching, by the way, on the book of Acts. We are not going to read every chapter and every verse and every word in all 28 chapters in this, in this book. You realize that, that, that Luke um, wasn't a very prolific writer, was he? What, if, what, if, what do we know? What are the two books in the, in the New Testament that we know that Luke wrote? Luke and, and Acts. And really, interestingly, if you study it, they're really kind of one letter. They're really kind of one. One has one letter, the, the, the book of Acts. In fact, you could, you could think about it this way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. But it really could have easily been Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, Acts. Because you can put Luke and Acts together, and we're going to take a look at that even tonight. I think you're going to see that the last part of Luke ties right into the first part of Acts. They're, they're, it's, it's, like a, it's like a sequel. Very interesting. Now, I don't know who those guys were that canonized the scripture. I mean, I don't know them personally. I know what the process was. I think it was really interesting that they put the Gospels together, which there's no problem with that, right? I don't have any problem with the four Gospels being together, and then you throw Acts on the, on the tail end. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me, but... Just as easily, not that it matters, we, we could have put Luke and Acts together, same author. And Luke refers in Acts a lot to what he wrote in his gospel. He refers back and forth all the time. Kind of interesting. I think that we're going to see supernaturally that by the power of God, the saints in the church were used... And they both survived. And if it wasn't supernatural, it wouldn't have happened. Amen? Yeah. Amen. There's just no way that this would have happened without it being supernatural. And so supernaturally, not only did the church survive, but it thrived. And that last word, before we go any further, that, that word, unhindered, did the church survive and thrive? In the first century, and does it continue unhindered? No. There's a no. No's. And I see some yeses this way and some no's. <laughs> Let's explore that just a little bit. I think it depends on what you mean by unhindered. Oh. Okay. What does unhindered mean? Unhindered <laughs> means unhindered in the Greek. Without opposition. Without opposition. Okay. Hmm. I think persecution is 
Is the hindrance that the church has been dealing with for the last 20 centuries or so, at least 2,000 years or so, is the unhinderedness, does that have anything to do with the circumstances surrounding the church? Or does it have to do with what God has done supernaturally in the church or both? Is it unhindered? It's not unhindered, but we know who's stronger than all circumstances or people. Okay. See, words matter. It's an interesting idea to think about whether the church has been hindered or unhindered. Because what do we think about? We think about the church being persecuted, don't we? Mm-hmm. We think about a lot when we studied. Remember we did a, a, a study on, on First John and we were taking a look at those people that had infiltrated the church. And they had an agenda, these people that had infiltrated the church. They didn't have a real interest in Jesus Christ as Lord. They had an interest in paganism coming into the church and wanting to do things their way. And John said, hey, they're not of us. Let them go. And so we see that the church has been being persecuted for about, I think about 2,000 years, if I'm correct. (laughs) But does that mean that it's been hindered or unhindered? It's been hindered, yeah. Mm -hmm. Look at the dark ages. Okay. Persecution. Spanish Inquisition. Okay. Interesting thought. So, so, so it survived. But so you, you consider that those things were hindrances to the church. Well, we're going to let the book of Acts define this for us. Because we have to go back to Scripture, because what I say doesn't really matter. It's really what Scripture says, right? It's been quite a history. I find it really interesting that there is great historical content in Luke's writing. Let's start before we even open to chapter 1, verse 1, and see if you can remember who Luke identifies is the person that he wrote to or perhaps dedicated the letter to or certainly at least named. There you go. Theophilus. Theophilus. <laughs> we'll see that in a minute. We're going we're gonna to start in, on, in, in Acts chapter 1, not Luke, but Acts chapter 1. And he's going to mention Theophilus by name. Okay, church history lesson for all you, all you theologians that have been studying scripture for a long time. Who the heck is Theophilus? <laughs> for 300 points. Who is Theophilus? <laughs> Anybody know? Come on, this is a 300 pointer. That's really interesting, isn't it? Okay, here's an interesting fun fact number one. The fact of the matter is, nobody knows who the author is. Isn't that awesome? Well, we I have two letters written by Luke, and he dedicates this to my dear Theophilus. And then, and then he never tells us who he is, where he came from, what he did, where he went. We know nothing about this man. Yeah. We know one thing about Theophilus. He existed. 
We know two things about Theophilus. <laughs> he existed. <laughs> the second thing is, is that biblically, in biblical times, in antiquity, names were way different than they are today. They meant something. They had, they had a meaning. And we know what the meaning of the name Theophilus is. Anybody venture a guess on that one? Friend of God. Huh? Friend of God. Friend of God or lover of God. Interesting. One who loves God is actually the more literal um, meaning of the, of the name Theophilus. And so... Um, I think that's really cool. That's all we know about Theophilus is that his me- is that his name means one who loves God. It makes me wonder. Oh, man, I wonder what his relationship was with Luke. There was clearly a relationship, and yet, interestingly enough, like a lot of scripture, like we don't have all the answers. We studied heaven. We don't have every single answer. I would love to have way more answers than I have about heaven than what I have. But bi- biblically, we're only told certain things. God's given us just enough. Apparently. Through the power of the Spirit, Luke writing this historical account, there wasn't a need for us to know who Theophilus was. And it just drives me nuts. <laughs> Why did you mention his name? And I want to know something about this guy. But there's nothing anywhere. There's no extra biblical writing, no other historians during the time that mentioned this man. See, we don't know. You do know something. Because it says, most excellent... Most excellent, and that, that has meaning. Right, yes, exactly. That's right. So you do know he was somebody that was up in rank. He was important. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a little bit more. A little bit? Robert. Well, I've heard it's kind of a generic name for anyone who has a real love and desire to know what God's doing mm-hmm. and his message. Okay. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting that if we all legally changed our middle names to Theophilus, because I would hope that everybody in this room is 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 one who loves God, and, you know. So, uh, I mean, really, really. I mean, otherwise, why would we be here? Why would we be here? Um, so, um, speaking of why we would be here, what's your purpose to be here? We're starting this series. We haven't had a Wednesday night. Thank you for. They didn't go on vacation for a few weeks. That was nice. Um, and so now we're going to start this study in the book of Acts. Everybody that's here really is kind of a lover of Scripture. That's why that's why we come. It's really an act of obedience and worship, frankly, to be here. We're going to open this thing up in dialogue, scratch our heads a lot, ask questions, stuff we don't understand. Totally okay. But what's your purpose for being here? Sure, good news. Oh, okay, here to right. Okay, here <coughs> in this this and this place on a wish list. Even sharing the good news. Knows the good news. Keep sharing. Sure. Okay, okay. Different perspective. Okay, what else? To learn more. To learn more. Great purpose. What else? Anybody? Why'd you come? The early history of the church, and I think it's fascinating as we look forward to our new our new church. Here we are, October, pretty soon October, and almost seven years ago, we started in Cindy's room, and here we're looking forward to a new church in October and November, almost seven years to the date. 
and yet here we are studying Acts. And I just, I think it's God working. It's like, wow, completion. Seven means completion. You know, and it's so, so fascinating to me as I look back and think, what a perfect time to learn about the church, the history of the church. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but when you put it that way, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? What was the date? Richie Tyler, do you, do you remember what the date, the, the, the official date that we actually started, started? I'm really bad with dates. In, uh, in Cindy? Yeah. No. You were there, Ernie. Well, I was So it was seven years ago in, in, in January. It was wintertime. That's the first thing to go. It was before December. It was before December. Because it was before Christmas? Yes, it was before Christmas. Okay. Christmas. Interesting. Interesting. And it was seven years ago. Was seven years wow. ago. Wow. All right. So there you go. Isn't that like the year of Jubilee or something? No, it's okay. Yeah. But anyway. Okay. So, so that's interesting. So let's let's continue with with purpose, Robert. Why 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 did you come tonight? What, what's your what's your interest? What's your purpose in 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 wanting to come and participate in a, in a study of the the Book of Acts, which is a history book on the early church? Why? I never studied Acts, and I wanted to see what it had to say. You never st- first time studying Acts. Awesome, awesome. Good answer. Great. Yeah, because they're all good answers because there's no there's no wrong one, right? Forsake not the fellowshiping together. Forsake not the gathering together. That's that's a great reason to be here. Good good purpose. So it's good. There's no wrong answers. And so now, if you, if you take a look at the, at the at the book of Acts that we know is is rooted in historical, verifiable facts, right? It's a history book. We already know and have decided around here that that uh, that this is authoritative, essential, and sufficient in all things for life. Okay. It is absolute truth. And Luke is writing historically. In the first century. A history book written in the first century. 2,000 years ago, he is going to be talking about the history at that time. He was a historian. He was a historian. And a doctor. He was a brain surgeon, but I'm not sure. No, I don't know. He was a learned man, um, clearly. And so what do you suppose his purpose was before we start even getting into, and it's okay, there's no wrong answer to this either, because what, with what little you know or with what, what, if you know a lot about the book of Acts and, and the early church, what do you suppose Luke's purpose was in writing? That might be difficult to answer, like... Betty, you said, I've never studied Acts. This will be the first time I've really dove into the book of Acts. Well, it's kind of hard to answer that question for you, isn't it? Because you're not really, you're not really sure. But, <laughs> might you suppose that there's a purpose behind this? this he was writing down the details in the story. There was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of story, <laughs> you know. But it needed to be, you know, I thought that that was his purpose. His main purpose was to pull it all together and write down what he knew, you know, from the other apostles and the uh, early, to give the, you know, all, and he was very detailed. 
Very. If you go down. So yeah. And that would add to, you know, and you wanted to show that it was the authority and give the, you know, that would, by doing oh, okay. that. So, yeah, so, okay. So one of his purposes would could, could have clearly been uh, to, to show these facts as being totally authoritative because mm. remember the history that he was writing about was pretty fresh. And he was an eyewitness, and he spoke to many eyewitnesses. I mean, this is pretty fresh stuff. This is not like some of the extra biblical. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're wacky like me, I like to read some of the extra biblical historians that wrote about some of these things, and they wrote about them three, four, five hundred years later. And it's fascinating to read some of the stuff that they wrote because it doesn't even remotely resemble what we have in the biblical record. And you can see historians, they're kind of like journalists today, I think. They had a, you could see that they're biased. You could see that these historians came at it from a certain perspective. And they were writing history. They've been rewriting history for thousands of years. Because it's a human thing. And Luke was looking at it through the eyes of a, a believer who had experienced Jesus. And so to him it was real... Exciting! It was, mm-hmm. it was it was just so uh, pulsing with with the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, I, I heard it once that uh, it could be better titled "The Acts of the Holy Spirit," because um, this is uh, what yeah. Luke wants to uh, mm-hmm. put forth. He definitely wants to impart it. Boy, are we going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, later on in my notes as I was studying just for tonight, you know, one of my prayers is that we really can grasp, really grasp, apprehend, if you will, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Right. Popping off of what Robert said, it in my, I have my study Bible, and it says, it says here that the, the book of Acts could more properly be called the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, we're going to see that. No boy, is that ever just woven in and through Luke's, Luke's writing. Well, and Luke already knows that there's dissension with the Gnosticism in the church. So he's writing this down to say, okay, hey, this yeah. is what really happened. Well, see, I was thinking about this as I was, as you might imagine that over the last couple of months, I've spent a bit of time in the in the book of Acts more than I would have ever in the past, <laughs> um, for obvious reasons. And so I'm thinking about, okay, so what? You know, so what, why? Because I know that Luke wrote this, and he's 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 really empowered by the Spirit. I mean, it's really it's really God working through him, right? And we get that. Um, I don't know how that works exactly. Don't ask me to tell you that because I don't really know how that works exactly, but I, I know that that's how God works. And so I was looking at it, and, and at one point, because I have a bent towards apologetics, you know, defending the faith. I love to study world religions and, and cults and those kinds of things. I, I, I'm fascinated how these people come up with their with their theology, their doctrine, and their belief structure. It's just fascinating to me. Uh, because it's none of it is based on anything that you can grab onto. It's all like a sieve, you know. Everything just runs out of, of most of these 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 other religions because there's because they're not <laughs> they don't have any they don't have any real basis in truth. And so 
uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as I'm, as I'm reading about these things that Luke is writing about, I'm thinking that, man, this guy is like one of the first apologists. I mean, he's, he's defending, you know, the deity of Jesus Christ. And he, he's defending Christianity. He's defending, you know, believers. And, because there was a lot of opposition. There were people that weren't too happy with what was going on in the early church. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe his purpose was that he was like one of the first apologists. You know, and he was just he just wanted to defend, you know, the the, 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 the truth of the gospel. He'd already written the gospel. <laughs> and then I thought, well, that that could be. But he wasn't an eyewitness. But he was around a lot that were. So when was this book written? If, if we're going to go, if we're going to go there. So when anybody know? You have a study Bible. She's going to find it. It's going to be right there. Date. Right in the front of her Bible. It's going to say date. When, when do you suppose that this was written in terms of him being an eyewitness or those being around him that he could have been interviewing, for example? That could have been. Could they have been eyewitnesses? All that depends on when this book was written. See, because they didn't write, they didn't write letters back then like we write now. There's not a salutation. They didn't have a date on them. They didn't have all those kind. Of, you know, we write letters very different. Well, nobody writes letters today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, it does have a date, but it says it, it takes in thirty years. Yeah. I have a date, but I don't know. Well, go ahead. AD one seventy. AD one seventy. Woo! Which study Bible do you have? Is that an NIV? Oh, MacArthur. We'll have to write him a letter. Okay. <laughs> what about Anybody else have another projected date? 63 63 to 70, did I hear you say that? AD. Okay, 60, the range, 63 to 70 AD. It says 63 and 70. 63 and 70. Not two and. Yeah. It always fascinates me that these, these, these scholars, they go through this whole process of trying to date something. It reminds me of carbon dating. You know, when people say, well, I found this piece of wood and it was it was uh, petrified and we dug it up and it was here when the dinosaurs were here. And this scientist said the dinosaur is 60,000 years old and this guy said it's 60 million years old. Mm -hmm. And they can both prove it by carbon, carbon dating. Huh? Oh, it makes me scratch my head. And I'm wondering, now, we can get pretty close though. So they go through this process of determining when this letter was written approximately and, and how do they base the date of the writing of the letter as a general rule? By the content. By the content. And what he leaves out. Paul is still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. He, wouldn't he have mentioned the death of Paul? Yeah, so we have all of these facts that we can <laughs> put together. Huge. And can they date it exactly? No. Can they get pretty close? Yes. The general conventional wisdom is the letter is written sometime in that time frame, 60, 70, 80, somewhere in that range. And, I, and I've heard, that surprises me, that the MacArthur Study Bible says 170. No, no, no. I said I wasn't sure who was right. I was looking in the right spot. Oh. Yeah, I saw the right spot. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would have been a little bit farther out there than anything that I've heard or read. But there are some that, that have dated this as late as potentially uh, 115 AD. Um, and and it, it's kind of a stretch. 
That's kind of a stretch, but in any event, in any event, that I think it's important when it was when it was dated, and I think it's important what his purpose was too. And I think if you if you take a look at if thinking about, I was thinking about it being an apologetic book because he defends Christianity quite a bit here, but it, it might have also been that his purpose was just to chronicle. He was just a historian, just to chronicle what was happening historically at that moment in time, looking backwards in the early church. Because this is where we go in the New Testament to find out what the heck was going on at that time frame. Okay? But maybe his purpose was to assure the early church, the early Christians, that everything was going to be okay even though there was going to be persecution, even though there was going to be opposition, even though some of that opposition was going to be incredibly hostile to the church, and even though all of these things were going to be taking place, maybe his purpose was to assure them that the church of Jesus Christ would never fail. Unhindered. Correct. Unhindered. You got it. Unhindered. Whose church is it? Every church ought to be called the church of Jesus Christ of something. Now, some people get that, some people get that wrong. Not the letter they say. That's correct. That's correct. But what we do know is that it's not Richie's church, right? Right. It isn't? It isn't. Well, that's Carl. But we know that it is Christ's church, and if we see, really, if we try to figure out what, what, what Luke's purpose is for writing this letter, we're going to see this woven in and through it, too, that there was... These people were going to be going through, excuse the term, but they were going to be going through hell on earth because there was opposition like they had never seen before. When they decided to follow Jesus, they didn't have a clue what they were signing up for at the time that this letter was starting. They didn't have the discernment. The Spirit had not come. They had no spiritual discernment. Remember, remember, there was these guys that Jesus said, follow me, and some of them dro- dropped their stuff and they followed him. And then they scratched their heads for the next three and a half years trying to figure out, what are we doing this for? And Jesus would tell them what was going to happen, and they never even heard. There was so much that was going on. I love thinking about that because my life is way simpler than that. We have a sanitized version of the church today, but man, 2,000 years ago, there was nothing sanitary about it. It was radical. It was radical. So I'm not real sure what his purpose was. But check this out. Because I have this book. Not this book. I have a book. And it's written by Chuck Swindoll. I like Chuck. He's a good old boy. Um, you know, and he's a contemporary theologian. And he's one of the things I like about Chuck Swindoll and his writing is that I can understand it. <laughs> I don't have to have a dictionary and a Bible dictionary because some of these guys, they write in, in with, I, I don't even understand the words they're using. You know, they're, they're right off the top of my head. So I study these guys and it takes me forever to get through a chapter because I got to look up so many words because they try to impress me with how smart they are. I'm just not that smart. Chuck doesn't do that. So check this out. I'm just going to read it verbatim. 
Chuck Swindoll writes about the purpose of the book of Acts. This is Chuck Swindoll opining. Maybe this will resonate with you. It did with me. And he says, the purpose of the book of Acts is to demonstrate from the facts of history that the church has become God's instrument for stewarding the new covenant. That the church is guided by his spirit and nothing can prevent Christ from building his church. Man, I read that and I just said, I've been studying this book for a while now, trying to, you know, trying to, you know, because I'm, I'm, you're, you're kind of, you try to do some of these things on your own. I even pray before I do, but sometimes God doesn't reveal things to me. But Chuck, Chuck Swindoll revealed it. I just said, that's it. There it is. In simple English, there's the purpose. And I, it resonated with me as I've been, as these 28 chapters in this book, and I'm reading all this history and the craziness that's going on. It's, in, its purpose is to demonstrate from the facts of history that the church has become God's instrument for stewarding the new covenant. Yes. <laughs> that the church is guided by his spirit. Yes. And that nothing can prevent Christ from building his church unhindered. I don't care what the... Per- See, I was caught up in the person... Wait a minute, the whole thing is being hindered. There's every obstacle on every corner. Every time they turn around, they're getting hammered by something. And and Luke says that, that there's Paul. He's, he's hanging out and he's sharing the gospel with everybody all the time. Sometimes he's in chains and he's doing it Openly and unhindered. Hallelujah. <laughs> All of a sudden, it just made sense. It just made sense. So, does that resonate with you? Wow. How does Luke's first century historical account relate to the church today? Luke is writing a historical account of the church in approximately, let's just say, 60 AD. Or 70 if you want to go there. He's writing it historically. It's a history book. It's our history book. It's our history book. That's how it relates. Okay, so you relate to it as being our, in what way? Amen, sister. Yeah, exactly right. He's writing it in the context of what was happening at that moment. That was 2,000 years ago, man. That's a long time ago. And yet, the relationship is that it is exactly the same. The same Christ, the same Spirit, the same church. It's the same. It's our history. It's our history. That he wrote about 2,000 years ago. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. It's our history. Who's the church? What is the church? He's writing the history of the church. This is whose church is it? Christ's church. What does that make you? 
A Christian. (laughs) That doesn't make you a Christian, but you're a Christian, and, and, and it's your history. If you were a historian, and it's 2016, and you were going to write a history based on the facts, based on this, based on the facts of history, as Chuck Swindoll says it, what would it look like? What would be different? What would you write different than... What are the few things that you would write different than, than, than Luke, the historian, 2,000 years ago? It's not contained in a small area. It's not throughout the whole world. Okay, so it's, it's a tad bit bigger now. <laughs> the church is <laughs> just a tad. We have a book instead of scrolls. We have a book instead of scrolls. What else, if you were writing a history of the church, would be different than what Luke wrote 2,000 years ago? Huh? Pictures. <laughs> you would have pictures in your history book. Well, we have historical archaeological evidence. We have a little historical archaeological evidence. We we have circumstances that are different, but the basic stuff is the same. It's the history of the church. It's God's church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It's Christ's church. It hasn't changed. He wrote about circumstances that were happening that are really important to understand because it helps us deal with them from an application. And I'm telling you, for the next how many weeks we're here doing this on Acts, we're going to talk about application every Wednesday night. Because if we're here just to accumulate more stuff and cram our brains full of more accumulation, but we don't put it to work because we don't know how to apply it based on the history of the church, our church, what good is it? Let's go home and watch, I mean... You know the Dodgers are playing the Giants tonight? <laughs> <laughs> no, just don't be scared. Are you taping it? I mean, we could be there watching this. I am. Go Dodgers. I mean, come on, really. If all we're going to do is accumulate more knowledge, there's nobody in this room that just needs a whole bunch more knowledge. What we need to learn how to do is we need to learn how to do what... what What Robert said earlier, you see, we need to learn how to not only appropriate the truth of the history of the church, but then Scotty also said that we need to be able to share it. Because we need to be able to share the veracity, that means the the absolute truth, rooted in fact, historical fact, it's impossible for you to refute it. Now, people deny it all the time, and they're the ones that won't look at it. And what are we here to do? Not accumulate more. We're here to apply it. See, we've been called for a purpose. And we're going to see that in Acts. The early church was called for a purpose. So if they wrote a book on the history of this church, it could be a sequel to the book of Acts, maybe. Yeah, and depending on where Luke was, if Luke was in Ojai and he was writing, he would have a slightly different historical account than if he was in Morocco or Syria or Libya or Egypt. There would be a different account because the persecution is different. 
But the church has been persecuted all the time. That part of the church's history, our history, hasn't changed. Because Jesus said, trust me, we're in this world. You will what? That's right. Because it's his church. They're not torqued off at you, Betty. They don't like Jesus and what he represents. They're not no, they're not the people that aren't willing to submit to that, because that's where true freedom is. They're all about themselves, right? That's why they that's why they want to persecute the church, man. They they don't they're not interested in that. We just went through the spiritual warfare series. We know what Satan's up to. He's not none too happy with y'all right now. <coughs> That's not good English, is it? <laughs> right. We're getting close to being able to actually get into the Word of God and read, but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> what influences were on the church in the first century that are the same influences that are on the church in the 21st century? Okay, where does that come from? Trying to prove it's not real. Okay, it's a it's a it's a it's a, a spiritual warfare thing, a, a satanic thing. Okay, what else? Well, initially, they did not have the Holy Spirit, which really it came Correct. upon them after the church was in, in operation, so to speak. So to speak. Okay. But what influenced the church when Luke was writing this account two thousand years ago? Influences this church, this one that we call Ohio Valley. Politics. Okay, and where does politics come from? Man, the world. What? The fall. The fall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, amen, brother. (laughs) Amen, brother. Okay, and what else? I'm just looking for one specific thing that has been influencing the church for about oh, ever since Jesus said it would. Heresy, ego, Satan, sin, sin, all part of the flesh, the culture. The culture. See, we live in this place, it's called Ojai, and it's the Ojai Valley. This is a very interesting place, spiritually speaking. Very, very interesting. Well, we're the center of the universe, you know. Well, depending on on which theological institute you belong to, that's correct. I told you about the people that are across the street from me called the Love Center. We're not going to go there. But, but, but what we have is we have cultural influences and the traditions within those cultures that have been influencing the church. And Luke is going to be talking about that just a little bit. So I'm just setting this up. All this is setting the stage for how we have to deal over the next several weeks, however long we're doing this with the application because it becomes really important. Is it more important to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and be in the discipleship process or to uphold the integrity of the church? Which is more important? Where is that night that you're going to ask yes and no questions? Marvin, God willing, I have it on my phone. 
The question is, is it more important is it more important for the church in the discipleship process or is it more important in the church to uphold the integrity of the church? Yes. Body comes into the yes. That's actually a pretty good answer. Are you talking about the doctrine? What? Or are you talking about the people? The people in the church. He's talking about upholding the truth in the body. What do you think? What do you think? I'm going to be honest. It's more important to make disciples. That's it's more what we're called to do by oh, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> that's really interesting because here we have the church, the first century church. We're going to get it. We're going to read in just a minute. The church isn't even formed yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't even come yet. Not on the church. The Holy Spirit has come because we're going to see in the Old Testament there's plenty of opportunity for the Holy Spirit to have been to have been bestowed, if you will, uh, on certain individuals at certain times for godly purposes. But, but, but that's not what we're talking about here. In the early church, it was going to come on all the believers, right? And so that's what Jesus said when he ascended. He said, hey, hang tight. Go back to Jerusalem. Hang tight. Because it, there's going to be a wow moment here. That's a paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so is it discipleship? Because the culture has entered the church. There isn't a church around that hasn't been. I'm reminded of, I've done this before publicly, but I didn't ask for permission, but I'm going to do it anyway because I feel very emboldened right now. And I'm going to say that if the body combs in their early walk with Christ uh, got involved in a very first century uh, group. Right? Yes. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and if you could, uh, you know, the sixty-second uh, version of, of how that how that all uh, came together, Kathy. How did how did that? What was that like? You see, they they joined the first-century church in Santa Barbara in the seventies, right? Yeah, and where they pulled everything together, it was a Christian commune. That's what it was. Where it was based on acts, wasn't it? I love that. How, how did you find that experience in the 70s? You were young. You're still young, but you were younger. <laughs> um, it, was, it was sort of radical. It, on what basis? How, define radical on, compared to what? Um, culture. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it was sort of like a, a, a condensed uh, form of, it's like what you would live in 40 years of your life was condensed in about five years. Uh-huh. It felt like that type of experience, or that type of experience it was. Interesting. <laughs> you see, that's interesting because the body cones decided, I, I'm sure they prayerfully considered what what. You know, we're talking about committed followers of Jesus Christ that said, my life is not my own. And they, they, they engaged with other people in a Christian commune that was based on the truth of God's word. Radical. <coughs> Radical. So, 
at our elders meeting this week, we decided that we're starting a comp. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, when we read this account of the culture, you see, in the culture in the first century, we're going to see Luke struggling through the paganism. We're even going to look at baptism. I don't know if we're going to get there quite tonight, but but you realize that the baptism isn't the isn't a Christian thing. You didn't know that probably, did you? You probably thought that Christianity came up with baptism. Oh, the pagans came up with baptism. Pagans baptized people into community. Sounds like a Christian commune, doesn't it? They baptized people, some of them with water, some of them with blood. They baptized people in so that you would be then known publicly as an associate, associated with this, this, this pagan entity. Even the Jews had a baptism ritual for people that were not born into Judaism, that they were converts. Remember, for some of you go back a long way, and we did a study on Judaism. And in the early days in Judaism, you, you were either born a Jew or you were converted into Judaism. And if you were converted into Judaism back in the day, what happened is you had to go through a whole long process and you had to study and you had to memorize. And most of the people that became that became converts, by the way, had to memorize the books of Moses. The Pentateuch. Dude, I struggled with memorizing three verses at one time. Yeah. But they had to memorize five books of the Old Testament. And then they had to take tests. And they were tested because, remember, they weren't born Jews. They were converts. And when they passed all of this stuff... This was a lengthy process. And when they passed all that stuff, there was a ceremonial ritual that they went through, which was they got into the baptismal thing. That's what they did. It was way before the first century church. Way before. Baptism. So now you can go home tonight and, and, and you learn something. Because I didn't know that. <laughs> when I started this study, I didn't know that. Pretty interesting. So we know that the culture influences the church. Is that good or bad? Generally bad. Pardon me? Generally bad. Generally bad. Mm-hmm. Kathy said that that you guys join this commune and you and everybody and here's how it works. You know, uh, Mark was working, I know the story. Mark was working for the post office. I don't know what Kathy was doing at the time. She was raising children, but <clears throat> not yet. So Mark was working for the post office, delivering mail, as I recall. Later in his career, he started running the post office, as I understand it. But he was delivering mail. That's what he started doing. He was delivering mail. And he would make his check. Check this out, Mark. And then he would give it to somebody. All of it. Mm-hmm. And, and everything else, the, the whatever they had, it, they didn't have anything because it didn't belong to them anyway. Just like none of our stuff belongs to us; it belongs to God. But they did it in a first-century church model where everybody had everything in common. It didn't matter if you were delivering mail or if you were the CEO of some big company in Santa Barbara. You put your money in the pot. And then everybody, it was distributed as anybody had need, as we're going to see in the book of Acts. 
culturally radical, huh, Kathy? Actually, yeah, I was rethinking what I was saying. It, it, you know, a lot of people did live communally in the 60s and 70s. So in one way, it was part of the culture, but it's a very radical Christian experience, I think, there weren't that many. There were some Christian mm-hmm. also during that time, but I think it was more different in the church, in, you know, church setting for people to do it than just, because I think a lot of people did live communally. So I think it was more radical on a, on a Christian experience. On a Christian experience, level. Level. yeah, because because Olivia said, that's our history. <laughs> but in the history we're going to see in the book of Acts, we're going to see that the first century church, they all came together, they had everything in common. I Not some things, everything they had in common. All of this we have to talk about on the front side because as we start getting into the word of God and the truth of the historical facts, it becomes very relevant to the application for us today because how do we live? How do we live today? I I know two people on the entire planet that, that committed themselves to a Christian coming and they're sitting in this room. Only two people. That was radical in Christianity in the 70s. And you're right, it wasn't radical in the culture, because in the 60s, all you had to do was go to the corner of Hate Ashbury. Mm-hmm. And they were all they were all living together, and it was it was free sex, free drugs, free rock and roll. That's that's what that commune was about. But it had nothing to do with absolute truth. Mm-hmm. It had to do with debauchery and pleasure. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you see, what, what the body homes did in the 70s wasn't radically historically. That's our history. Oh, now I really want to challenge you as we start in the first two chapters of the book of Acts. Listening to Luke talk about the history of the church because God is the one that put it together. It wasn't Luke that did that. He's the writer. You see, it was God that instituted the church. It was God that instituted the process of how we are to live. Church. And it's 2,000 years later. I want to challenge you to think about that. Because the earlier question I asked is, what's changed? Word of God never changes. Nothing. The culture is the only thing that's changed. You see, the Word of God has not changed. God certainly hasn't changed. It is Christ's church. He is the one that instituted how it is that we are to live. Wow. And you see, we can't, we can't continue to categorize and box up the culture here and live in it because we walk out the doors because we're in it, aren't we? Oh, good Lord, we're in it, aren't we? (laughs) We're in it. Just not of it, you see. That's my heart. Is understanding. Wow. 
Scripture, and we have the distinct privilege of being able to say, okay, God, wow, given all that, how am I to live to glorify you? And all our needs would be met if we could, their needs were met. Ooh. Everything probably was met. Anything sort that of. was Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a perfect environment, I would take it. How long did you last? Eight years. And it could, it could be that way if we had just give God everything. It could. Man, we've used up so much time, I had no idea we were going to do this. <laughs> Dr. Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. We did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to share this with you because you know I went, you know, because I went on my backpacking trip. When you're on a backpacking trip and you're doing what they call a through hike, any place you go to do a through hike, which means you're doing the whole trail, right? Not just a section of it. Um, it is an unwritten rule that through hikers are given a trail name. But you can't give yourself a trail name because that's not the part, that's not, the, the rule is broken. You cannot give yourself a trail name. So you meet people on the trail, you hang out with other people that are backpacking, doing these long distances, and, and they get to know you, and they give you a trail name. <laughs> and so when I first started backpacking with Joel Griffin and, and, and Dwayne McCulloch, I got a, I got a, a trail name. Um, and it was, it was, it got changed over time. But my first trail name was DW Squared. Not because I played a set of DW drums. That was different then. DW meant, for them, they gave me the trail name, uh, Death Wish Squared. Because all I said, I was so exhausted all the time. And all these guys wanted to do was do these long miles. I'm carrying this heavy pack. And I just, all I could say almost, you know, ten times a day, you guys are trying to kill me. And so they, <laughs> so they gave me that trail name. But my new trail name, and you'll be able to resonate with this one a lot, a lot easier. My new trail name is <coughs> uh, the last trail, the last 500 mile trip that we went on was uh, Talks Too Much. So you just got to go with it. I, uh, Luke wrote two books in the New Testament, his gospel account and the, and the book of Acts. And by the way, his writings by volume represent 30% of the writings of the New Testament. Just to put it in perspective, because we always think about the Apostle Paul as being the most prolific writer. But Luke wrote more volume. Interesting. 30% of the New Testament is written by, by, by Luke. Uh, you know, Paul and John were, were, were also prolific writers. But just, a, just an interesting fun fact number two. Um, and so, uh, and, and we know when he... When he uh, wrote it around 60 or 70 AD. So now let's open up to Acts chapter 1. And we're just barely going to get started. And next week we're going to go like a house of fire. Talks too much. just repeats itself, doesn't it? So Acts chapter 1, what I want to do here is now set the tone that we've got this historical basis for, for getting into the Word of God and getting into the, into the book of Acts. And, and, and we're going to take a look, uh, not at every, every 
chapter and every verse in every chapter, but we are going to highlight the chapters and the verses as we go through this book, and we're going to discuss it, debate it, argue about it, ask questions about it, and then talk about the application. And the, there's a, a couple of important things to do. What I want you to do by way of homework is when you come on Wednesday nights, before you get here, just take 15 minutes and, and, and read the chapter that we're in. So next week, read chapter 1. Just read chapter 1. It'll take you 15 minutes. And be prepared for what chapter 1 says before you get here. And then what we're going to do is we're going to read it just like this. Because I'm going to ask somebody to read the first six, excuse me, the first five verses of chapter 1. Then we're going to take a look at some of the observations. What do we see here? Because there are some really critically important things that, that Luke is going to be pointing out. Some of them aren't so obvious. We need to take a look at the observations that we can make about the scriptures that, that are before us. And then we can talk about what it means so that we have an understanding of really what was going on with this early church. Because I think it was maybe similar to, but in a lot of ways, very different than that Santa Barbara commune. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Not because I don't know about the Santa Barbara commune except for what you told me. But I know a lot about what Luke writes because he says that they all had something in common and that all their physical needs were met. Susan, you have the NIV. Yes. First five verses in Acts 1, please. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Shazam, there's a lot going on there. And it's just a five, five simple little verses. Mm -hmm. And so as we take a look, and here's, and here's my hope for you, is that when you, when you read, you'll just have a kind of a, an overview of like, like chapter one for next week. Just read chapter one. And then we're going we're gonna to kind of tear into chapter one so that we can really get a, a foothold. And, 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 and Betty, this will really be great for you because you've never studied the book of Acts before. But we're going to take a look because words mean something. And it's really important what he's trying to communicate here. So what are some of the observations that you have right out of the box in the first sentence that he's writing? What's an observation that you can make about what he's communicating here? He had a former book. He had a former book. <laughs> Bingo! Mm. Mm. Which indicates that mm. Luke, having a former book, he's the author of this book. Huh. Now, I wonder how we figured out that Luke was the author of this book. Of course, we have to figure out that he's an author of this book, because whoever the author of this book was the author of his former book. And then we're going to see a little bit later where the last chapter in his former book, his book of the gospel, according to Luke, uh, ties right in to one of the one of one of the one of the one of the paragraphs. We call them chapters and verses, but they didn't have them back then. Right? That's something that we added later to make it easier to study. But 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 we're going to see that oh man, they're tied together. Almost exactly the same language is being used when he talks about 
the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. It's like a, whoa. You could just plop them on top of one another. He says the same thing twice. Kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. What's another observation? He had another account. And they were both written to the same person. Ah. And both accounts are about Jesus. And both accounts are about Jesus. What else? Keep going. There's a lot going on here. What else do you see? Why he wrote the book. Excuse me? Why he wrote the book. Okay. Why he wrote the book. Why did he write the book? He wrote about what Jesus did and okay. He taught. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. And he brings him up to date to where he wants to start again. Oh, he brings him up to date where he now he's going to going to start. That's the sequel. Okay. It's a continuation. The Left Behind series, number two. <laughs> and he reiterates the command of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's a reiteration of the command. Okay. So, all right, all right. What else do you see there? The introduction of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and <coughs> and what about that introduction to the Holy Spirit? Who he gave it to. Okay. Yeah, he tells them in a few days, guess what? Y'all, I'm pretty sure they were Southern, y'all are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, do you think they had any clue what that meant? No. No. I got to believe that these, these people were there. Now, there were men and women present, by the way. We're going to see that in just a little bit. And my guess is that where there's women, there were just children, culturally speaking. And so there were men, and we don't get all caught up thinking that in the early church, it's just it's just the apostles. There were the, there were disciples. There were followers. A disciple is nothing more than a learner. There were people that were around Jesus all the time. And so and so Luke is talking historically here, and and he was talking about there being very convincing proofs that that Jesus was alive. That's another observation. Okay. How did Jesus convince people that he was alive? Letting them stick their fingers in his Yeah, we know that from other from, from other writings, okay? And Luke is just saying that, hey, man, I'm telling you what, he's just kind of summarizing this, right? But that's a great observation. Yeah, Jesus came, and he and how long was he there? Four days. Okay, that matters. That really matters. There's a lot going on. So you think he was sequestered in the upper room for 40 days and he was like in the closet and didn't want to come out? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think he was out and then he, he was about. Out. Yeah. And we see that elsewhere, but we're just taking well, a look at this. Well, on one occasion they were eating together. Oh, yeah, okay. That's pretty cool. I like that. That meant that he was in flesh and blood because he was eating. All right. All right. And he actually, and then, actually spoke because it's in red letters. <laughs> yeah, Jesus was speaking. He was he was talking to him. And what else was he doing? Teaching. Yeah. There was something else that's very interesting in the first verse. There's a word there that I I, I, I like words. There's a word there that 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 matters because it 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 tells us something. You see, when we study the word of God, it will slow began began is the word he says he says dude i wrote this it, it's all about uh, that jesus what jesus began began to do and to teach in my former book theophilus i wrote about all that jesus began in my former book i wrote about all that jesus began well if you're going to use that word began 
Now realize that this is translated into the English from the original language, but it's really accurate. If he wrote about all that Jesus began, what's insinuated by the fact that, that Luke says that in his former book, his Gospel of Luke, he wrote about what Je Jesus began to do in teach. He wasn't finished. They're not done yet. <laughs> Jesus is teaching. See, that's the point. The point is, is that when you take a look at observation, it will slow down the train. <laughs> and if we'll look at what he... Wait a minute. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, the, and right away you would think that if he was finished, if Christ was finished, he would have said something different. He did. <laughs> He did. Well, it's not until the day he was taken up into heaven. Okay. He did finish, but then he came on But then what? Then he says, then he was given instruction. Yes, you see, because now there's a foreshadow of what's to come. Because you see, Jesus, when he was here and he gave his account in his gospel, Luke, in his gospel, he said, I talked about what he began to do and he began to teach. And until the day he was taken up into heaven, and we're going to see that ascension in just a little while, not tonight, but next week. And, so, and then, what, then what he says, and then there's a, a foreshadow of what's to come, because what happened? The Holy Spirit. Yeah! After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. So, man, now you can, you can either make some assumptions... Or you can do a little further study on your own. And you can see here that the work of Christ is not done. But all of a sudden, the foreshadow here is what is about to happen. Because they didn't have a clue what was going to happen. They didn't have a clue. What's the difference between them and us? We have a clue. We know exactly what's going to happen. Put yourself in their position. Put yourself in their position. He's a historian. He's talking about to all these people. He says, Christ came and he began to teach and he began to and he began to do stuff. He was doing stuff. And they're trying to still assimilate the fact that he was killed and mm -hmm. they're yeah. they're reeling. Yeah. Remember, just before he just before he was went to the cross, they all bailed on him. They all bailed on him. <coughs> Now that's heart wrenching in one hand, and it's and it's very free. I don't know about you. It's very freeing to me because when I'm a when I'm an idiot, <laughs> I go man, I'm just like that. You know, sometimes I don't get it, or sometimes I, you know that, that that whole sin thing is a powerful thing, isn't it? See, they didn't get it. You see, they didn't have the spirit. What man? We've got all the stuff that they didn't have. Wow. <laughs> All of a sudden, first century churchers, mm -hmm. I get it why you were confused. Man, there was no counselor. There was no helper. There was no spirit to guide you. There was, you couldn't appropriate at the time that he was writing this, the full power of the God that raised Christ from the dead, the power that dynamis, donamis, dynamis, dunamis, how do you say that power? Dynamite, okay? That you see, you know you got that in you? Come on, church. You know you got that in you? 
I mean, come on, get off the dime. Get off the dime. You've got dunamis power in you, the power of the Spirit. This is the power that raised Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. It is in you. Yes. Amen. Right? God. Holy Toledo, are you kidding me? I like to compare myself to these guys in the first century. They don't have a clue. I, I better have a clue. I got everything that Jesus promised. They're about to get it. But you see, right now, they don't have it. This so Luke says, hey, I wrote about this before. Okay? You see, because Jesus began to do and to teach. And y'all, you're about to be the nucleus for an explosion that is going to radically change the world. And they're going, huh? seriously they don't have any idea the one thing that they do have an idea about is that they at least listen to the command he said don't leave Jerusalem wait for the what the gift that my father has promised that's the gift of the Holy Spirit and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and I'm thinking they're going wait a minute John the Baptist let me see there was this water thing wasn't that a repentance hey John wasn't that a repentance thing? That, wasn't that baptism thing a repentance thing? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, what you talking about here? What's this baptism with the whole... What is the Holy Spirit anyway? <laughs> I'm not putting myself in their shoes. What? The Holy Spirit... They were probably saying, what is that? You see, but here's the crazy thing, church. See, a lot of people in the church right now still don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. You know, that's the sad part. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Absolute truth. If they don't know, they don't read their Bibles. Man, I'll tell you what. It's good to appropriate the truth that we already have, and it's really good as a disciple to learn more truth, but it doesn't do a bit of good if you put it under the chair. <laughs> it just doesn't do much good. It's the next dust. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love this part because the application of what we see here just in the first six verses is really relatively simple. It's really about understanding the power of the Holy Spirit that is about to come on these people with power that we don't even comprehend because it was a different kind of a power that came on in this during this dispensation. It's a different kind of a power with all kinds of authority.